Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Judge Talbot, author of The Backup Plan, a book that celebrates how to make the best out of plan B. There are moments in all our lives where we have no choice but to rethink what our future may look like. It's in losing sight of this path that can lead us to discover new versions of success. To celebrate the fact we all have a backup plan, I'll be hearing from guests who have discovered magic in unconventional circumstances and found their own version of success and happiness. Welcome to the Backup Plan. Before we hear from our main guest, I'm delighted to share a brilliant conversation I had with one of the many incredible sellers from Etsy, the sponsors of this podcast. We'll learn how Etsy has supported their sellers' own backup plans so they can grow their businesses, build their teams and follow their passions. Husband and wife, Jamie and Catherine, are the proud founders of The Happy Make House. They've been making lovely stuff since 2012 and their ethos is to create things that reflect their inspiration and are always ship-shape. I mean, Etsy was the no-brainer, so, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really cost anything to set up on Etsy. It was the obvious starting point. What has been the highlights and the benefits of you starting your own business on Etsy? It's just really easy to list a product you can mm-hmm. put it up and you've got a whole global reach. Mm-hmm. I think also if you've got a whole bunch of ideas that you want to get out there quickly, mm-hmm. but you don't want to invest too much money into that, um, you can try things without mm-hmm. it kind of setting you back. So what would you say to someone who's thinking about selling on Etsy? Just go for it. What have you got to lose? Not like setting up a website or designing any, you know, you can just go on and follow the format. It's, mm-hmm. you know, anybody can do it. Where can we find you on Etsy? The at, Happy Make House. The, the Happy, Happy Make House, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. I followed Stephanie Yeboa, otherwise known as Nerd About Town, online for years, and she's one of the people I miss when I don't see her in my feed. Frank and funny, Stephanie's an unashamed advocate for body positivity and is a real writing talent with over 10 years' experience. Her writings appeared in outlets like Refinery29 and Metro. With an absolute air of strength and eloquence about everything she does, Stephanie proved she's a rapidly rising star by collecting Blogger of the Year Award at last month's Blogosphere Awards, applaud it seen as the highest honour within the community. Stephanie's ebook, Spunk, is out now, a book that tells you how to love yourself in a world that tells you not to, and her debut fiction novel is in the works. I'm so thrilled to be speaking today to Stephanie about the confidence and societal issues that affects women today. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I just love that introduction. It's amazing. <laughs> I must have it on my gravestone. <laughs> I, I will send it over to you. And it's absolutely true. All of it's true. Oh, thank you. Now, you're an influencer, although I don't know, some people really hate that word influencer. And it's kind of like a, it is a bit of a weird one. To me, you're like the anti-influencer because you represent the opposite of everything that's wrong with the influence industry. And I'm talking Aww. like skinny tees and, you know, um, face tuning and mm-hmm. the, you know, the wobbly lines you get when you like slim your waist. Yeah. So my question was going to be, how much harder do you think it is for you? Because you represent real life, you mm-hmm. represent real women. How much harder do you, do you think the industry is for you than someone who does position themselves as skinny tees and Kardashian it's very difficult now I think it was easier in the beginning because mm. in the beginning influencers bloggers you know content creators a lot of uh companies and brands and the audience came to us because we represented that authenticity and yeah. we represented you know keeping it real and not being as glossy as the magazines mm-hmm. and just you know talking about our everyday lives through blogs and vlogs mm-hmm. and all of that stuff everything is now it's sort of heading back to that whole glossy yeah. only showing you know really pretty content mm-hmm. only showing content that is not 
grounded in real life. How difficult is it to be real? Yeah. Like, really? It's It seems to be surprisingly difficult. I think especially for, like, the millennial and Generation Z um, generation, it's, you know, with the introduction of all of these filters mm. and, and things like that, I think people are now creating more aspirational content as opposed to real life content Mm. and that's something that I've always sort of repelled because I like to go online and see people that have the same issues as me they get up they brush their teeth they go to Aldi do a weekly shop come back and talk about the things that they've bought like (laughs) it's stuff that I can relate to so Mm. I can't relate to standing outside a um, place in Mayfair with mm-hmm. some um, wisteria behind me. Like, I can't relate to that. Like, it's pretty. Absolutely. But it's very much magazine-driven. Um, and and it, that feeds into the comparison trap as well. Yeah. I think. Exactly. And then you have people that compare themselves with each other and, mm. oh, you know, they shot at this location or they've used this photographer and mm-hmm. I didn't, so therefore my work isn't as valid or as good. And, you know, that's the part of the industry that I don't like. So I try to actively do things that are against what, people think uh, influencers should be. Yeah. Because I just want to influence people to live their best lives and yeah. just be happy in themselves, whether they are plus size or not, or whatever the intersection may be. But I feel like the world is gearing more towards, like, um, realness. And, you know, if you want to see a magazine, go and buy a magazine. Yeah. And I think maybe it's an education piece for brands that, at the moment, they're still trying to replicate the sleek advertising they've they've spent years developing in magazines and maybe now... The world is changing. It's just maybe kind of an education piece for them to to get used to the grittier, like, realer side of life. Yeah, I think it definitely has to change because, you know, the whole reason why influencers have become big is because we're, we are not that sort of carbon mm-hmm. copy, really sleek magazine print. We represent something that is real life. A lot of people are actually put off by that mm. um, because they think, oh, well, we're just doing this because we're getting paid so we wouldn't actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for brands to kind of come back to this area of realism and mm-hmm. just incorporating whatever products that they want to sell within a organic piece of content mm-hmm. that, you know, it, that tailors into what that influencer would be doing in their day-to-day life anyway, mm-hmm. as opposed to setting up a whole scene mm-hmm. just for this aesthetic piece so that they can mm-hmm. get loads of likes and stuff. Like, I'm very much a fan of just integrating things organically. Yeah. So taking it back to your journey to becoming a content creator slash mm-hmm. freelance writer slash whatever we decide by the end of the podcast <laughs> we should call ourselves. Um, what was, so when you were growing up, what was your plan A? What did you want to be when you grew up? When I was younger, my I really wanted to work in Sainsbury's at the checkout <laughs> because... But we I, all do that, don't we? Because we see the buttons and we're like, that looks that's cool. What it is. It's the scanner, it's the scanner <laughs> yeah. and it goes beep. And I, I was just so obsessed with that. So up until like the age of like nine, it's like, <laughs> I just want to work in a checkout just so I can just scan all yeah. the things. And then um, it's interesting. I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. Oh, I wow. wanted to... Fashion was my entire life. Yeah. I couldn't fit into anything, but... Um, I remember coming home from secondary school, primary school and secondary school. My cousin was living with us at the time and she was hugely into fashion. So um, she was like the older cousin who like taught me all of the cool things. So Mm -hmm. she taught me how to drink coffee (laughs) and she would... 
put on fashion TV, um, which just showed catwalks mm. all day. And I would come I home after... I used to watch that. I loved it. Yeah. It was just so... It was just... It just opened my world up to yeah. this whole complete new wave of, of fashion and avant-garde and all of these things. And I would come home after school with a coffee <laughs> in the living <laughs> the room. coffee I'd recently coffee. learned how to drink. Uh, yeah, the coffee that I'd recently learned how to drink, like a, a latte or something. Yeah, and I'd yeah. just be watching fashion TV for a good, like, six hours until I went to sleep. And I just loved fashion because it was a sense of expressing yourself through creating beautiful pieces and mm. being as creative and dynamic and as as random as you can and all of mm-hmm. the pieces always come out amazing and that's what I wanted to do but then I was also very conscious that you know I didn't feel like I had a place in fashion because of the sizing restrictions mm-hmm. and things that sort of the the connotations that plus size have with fashion you know a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't want to be associated with creating mm-hmm. plus size clothes so that was definitely my goal mm. um but at the time I was I was very introverted and I was very quiet and and that was due to, you know, being bullied in school and all of these other things such as depression and stuff. So I was I kept myself to myself mm-hmm. a lot. And so I was very heavily encouraged by my parents to study law. So I went to study law at university and I absolutely hated it. Yeah. And in my second year, I actually applied to Central St. Martin's because I wanted to transfer into fashion. But then that just became a huge thing with my parents. They mm. weren't happy. And again, I convinced myself out of applying because I said, I'm, I, you know, it was things that, you know, my parents at the time, I guess they thought they were saying things to make me feel a bit better but they Mm -hmm. didn't so they said you don't have the personality to do fashion you know you're um an academic you need to do Mm -hmm. this you'll get eaten up alive in school so they were doing saying all of these things to dissuade me but um so I didn't do it and I just finished the law degree and I came out not knowing what I wanted to do and I was just stuck for a very long time. So how did you get into the world of freelance writing and content creating? So I started my blog in my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I um, withdrew my application, I thought, OK, well, I need to have some way of mm-hmm. being creative and expressing myself and things like that. So I started it because I wanted to write a, how much I hated my law degree. I hated this. I hated that. Shared it with my friends at uni. So we would all go on each other because we all had blogs. So we would all mm-hmm. go in each other's yep. blogs. And just I comment. miss that. I miss the comments. I miss all that like ring of commenting and being yeah. so excited when someone wrote a post that you'd have to like put your thoughts down immediately about what they'd written. Exactly. It was such a wonderful, such community. a pure time. Yeah, it was such, such a, a pure time. Such a pure time. And someone asked me the other day. They said, um, "How did you learn how to write?" And I was like, "Okay, well, that's a weird question." And then I thought, "How did I learn how to write?" And I, I said, "Because I've been writing on live journals since I was fifteen. But mm. I think that kind of writing where you just haven't, you need an outlet." It's such great practice for going on to write professionally. Yeah, definitely. And it, it became my outlet. I was, I would start writing um, and it it actually did teach me how to write actually because with every blog post I wanted to improve and I mm. wanted it to sound a bit more whimsical and yeah. a bit more funnier. And so it was literally just live journal and thesaurus I had up as tabs. I was just like trying to write as eloquently as possible. And then I realised that I started writing a lot more about uh, makeup. And the fact that I couldn't find makeup in my skin tone. So then that became a huge thing where I would sort of test out different brands of makeup and Mm -hmm. see if it was available in darker skin tones. Yeah, I started beauty blogging for a while and then that's how I came into the community. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated university, I 
was I just started doing odd jobs. I've 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 got this law degree, but I don't want to do law. So what else can I do? So mm-hmm. I started doing a lot of admin. Mm-hmm. So I worked in hospitals for a while as medical secretaries, mm-hmm. and then I randomly got this job as a wardrobe assistant for this uh, stylist who's mm-hmm. based in London, and he styled people like Kelly Rowland and Nicki Minaj. So I I did that for like a month, which was just really bizarre and wild and very eye opening. So yeah. I would you know go to like Christian Louboutin and go to all of these places and like like Bond Street and just pick up pieces and pull pieces and send it to him so that he can style them. And that was really interesting. And that's that kind of re-sparked a little bit of a taste for getting back into the fashion industry. Quick ad break. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors Etsy, the platform that gives creators, no matter how big or small, the opportunity to continue creating. If it's handcrafted, vintage, custom or unique, it's on Etsy. So when did you go fully freelance? I went fully freelance last November. Mm -hmm. So I was, so up until last November, I had been working full time and blogging on the side. Mm -hmm. And then last November, um, myself and about five or six other people were made redundant. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was working at a PR company in Shoreditch. And yeah, we just got made redundant. And at the time... It was weird because I felt absolutely no emotion. Mm. But the first thing I felt was relief. The money that I was using, that I was getting from from my full-time job, you know, went to rent and travel mm. and groceries and things, but then also photo shoots and yep. and clothes and and things that I would use to boost up my blogging. And it would go to, like, um, hosting my blog and buying a new blog layout. So yeah. it was all sort of funneling back into my side passion. Now I get to sort of surround myself with that full time and it's Mm. just the best decision I think I've made yeah yeah some of the work that I love the most that you've done is kind of the real heartfelt um the the stuff about dating and about how how hard it is just to be a woman in the world of dating and you Mm. wrote a piece for refinery 29 Mm -hmm. about being the victim of I guess you could call it like a dating prank Mm -hmm. and I remember reading it and just being so shocked that that happened to you um, and I think I think on a level, women have been experiencing that for a really long time. I think mm-hmm. we're reduced to nothing but pixels, just mm-hmm. swiping through. And I think there's a certain disconnect that comes mm-hmm. with that now because, with me, you know, I've always I'm very much a relationship type of person. Mm-hmm. So I I've not really had a lot of experience in dating, especially casual um, casual dating. Mm-hmm. So I've always been on the look for a relationship or something mm-hmm. that can lead to a relationship. And these days, when you go onto an app and you say that, it's almost like you've insulted their mother or something. Like, <laughs> you're looking for a relationship? No, I'm just here for a shag. How do you reckon body positivity has come on in the last 10 years, even if you do think it has come on in the last 10 mm-hmm. years? It's a double-edged sword with body positivity, I think, because on the plus side... We now have a society that, I guess, they take into consideration different body types to a point. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we're now seeing size 12 to 14 models in advertising Mm -hmm. and on websites and things like that. And I think the best thing to come out of body positivity is that we now have stores that have created plus size clothing. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, when I was younger... You know, it was just horrible. I was depressed all of the time. Inside, my inner self was very loud and I wanted to wear mesh and crop tops and all of that stuff. And, you know, it really put a stifler on my creativity and how I wanted to express myself. So when body positivity came around sort of in the last uh, six, seven years, 
we've had brands who have jumped on the bandwagon. And for a lot of the brands, I know that it's just a bandwagon mm-hmm. thing. But the positive for us now is that we can now get accessible fashion mm-hmm. in size fat. So we can get your ASOS and we can get Oasis and we can get Pretty Little Thing and... Um, and all of these other mainstream shops that were mm-hmm. just for smaller sizes are now extended to what? So for me personally, that's been a huge positive because mm-hmm. now I can feel normal wearing what I want to wear. I feel like there's still a long way to go with mm-hmm. body positivity. Such a long way to go. Because within body positivity, there's still a standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. And if you don't adhere to that standard of beauty, then you're marginalised and, and silenced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've spoken about this a lot at length and I talk about how, you know, the body positivity community was spearheaded sort of in 2012 by plus-size women of colour, mm-hmm. um, both in the UK and America. It was a sort of offshoot off mm-hmm. of the fat acceptance movement, but we just called it a different name. And so... 2014 and 15 influencers started to use it but at the time again because there was a standard of beauty within the influencer community it was only the white plus size influencers that Mm. were gaining momentum and within that it was the white plus size influencers who sort of peaked at a size 16 that Mm -hmm. were becoming the faces and the voices and the spokespeople of body positivity I don't necessarily align myself with that movement anymore because it doesn't represent me and Mm -hmm. it silences people that look like me and it just speaks for women that have body privileges already Mm -hmm. and it speaks to women that have the hourglass or the apple shape and Mm -hmm. the big bum and people that are shaped like Ashley Graham you know it kind of lives to serve them now Mm -hmm. and it doesn't serve people that don't have any body privileges so I sort of have gone back to the fat acceptance movement because mm-hmm. I think, you know, if this was the same movement and it had been called fat acceptance, nobody would probably care about it. Nobody would want to be a part of the movement because of the word because, fat. Yeah, it's because it's kind of like the word shouldn't have negative connotations, but just so it many, it's kind of like an off putting word, I guess. But I think it describes so much more widely what it means than body positivity. Yeah, which definitely. Is, like you said, just been harnessed by all the wrong people. Yeah, I think it's quite a specific word as well. And I think a lot of people who are in the body positivity community would never want to use the word fat. And that is a whole other issue in itself because mm-hmm. then it's like you're still, you still got those body hang-ups about yourselves and yep. around the world fat. And so the fat acceptance community is for people that are very unapologetic in how they feel. And that means taking back the word fat. Definitely own it because there's nothing wrong with the word fat. Like there's... You know, you call people slim or tall or short, muscular, you know. So I don't understand why with the word fat, there's a buffer word like Mm. plus size or curvy or Mm. rubenesque. You know, there are so many different buffer words that people like to use. But fat is, it is what it is, you know. That's what I am. And if I use it, you can't use it to hurt me because I've already claimed it. And it is what I am. It's not a negative. It's just my body shape. What do you? What are your feelings on um, Love Island? I have to ask. Do you know what my feelings over the past week have just changed so much? Last year, I realised that you know, in terms of diversity, it was just really shit. Yeah, and I didn't like that. So I was like, oh, this year, I really hope that they're a bit more diverse. I hope that they have a plus size person in there. Mm. You know, I want there to be more women of color, men of color on there. And then you know, we got the news that they were going to include a couple of plus size women in there which 
you know, I thought was amazing. I thought it was about time, you know. It's a it's a tricky one because we know what the public are like. Mm. You know, even with Samira last year, she received a lot of backlash. She was picked last all the time and all of that stuff. And so I think it's really important to kind of consider the contestants' state of mind, their mental That's health. It. I think it's very gratuitous, <clears throat> the way that they use people for entertainment. Yes, um, and I guess they have a responsibility to get that balance right between who they put in and the backlash they're going to get. Exactly. But at the same time, they have this huge platform. It's, you know, one of the biggest shows. And it frustrates me that they couldn't... I mean, we don't know everyone who's going in yet, but it feels quite generic. Up until last week, I was... I saw the lineup and I was like, oh, here we go again. Mm. You know, it's... And it's kind tokenism. Of not, even, yeah. not even good tokenism. Exactly. And... You know, I I was really, really adamant that I wanted to see somebody that looked like me on there. Mm. And then the producer came out with a quote saying that, well, you know, we could put people in there that were plus size, but we need for them, we want other contestants to be attracted to them. I and that's that when I was just... like, okay, so they, they actually don't give a shit about yeah. plus size. Now I'm in the position that I kind of don't want any plus size people to go mm -hmm. in, purely for the fact that, you know, I don't want there to be this amount of hate when they come out I don't want for them to risk having their mental health spiral mm -hmm. that rejection and being picked last or not being picked at mm. all is absolutely horrible and to have that broadcast on tv like with the whole thing with Samira and even with um is it Yawande yeah, new, yeah. It, yeah so we were all watching it yesterday like on twitter just like oh, oh my god I hope she gets picked I hope she gets picked and then she didn't end up getting picked and you know, my heart broke for her, you yeah. know, because it's just, it's really frustrating knowing that it's always the women and men of colour or the women of colour mm -hmm. who are picked last. So now I'm a bit more protective. I'm just like, you know, this could be a great platform for plus size women to be normalised and mm. to have ourselves normalised in bikinis. But I don't want it to come at the expense of that person's mental health Absolutely. or the, the wrath of troll Twitter and the newspapers in general like I kind of mm. had to weigh up you know what would what is the what is the best outcome like what would I prefer I would rather prefer someone to not be in but mm -hmm. save their mental health than to go on there look amazing mm -hmm. and absolutely smash it but then end up not being picked or mm. or you know coming out and facing such terrible trolling and bullying like I just now I'm just a bit like I kind of don't want there to be any plus size people mm. on there just because I'm just like nah it's too much now you've written a book an ebook called spunk yes. which is geared towards <laughs> women loving themselves yes. or is it just women or is it everyone oh everyone uh, geared yeah. towards everyone loving themselves yeah. which I think is something we all could do with no matter how confident you are there's always that voice inside your head mm -hmm. why do you think society is so geared towards us hating ourselves because they can make money from it. Oh, yeah. That is it. Yeah. Because they can make money from it. To be completely honest, I kind of think it's a westernised issue. Yeah. Because when I go back home to Ghana and Africa, the, the standard of beauty and, you know, all of this stuff, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And when you go to other countries around the world that don't have access to TV or mm. radio or stuff, they're just living their best life, just walking around naked and just not giving a fuck. Mm. You know, we have TVs and, and radios that are giving us this ideal standard of beauty, this westernised standard of beauty. And they're saying to us that if you don't look like this celebrity, mm. then you aren't worthy of anything you're not worthy of love and I just think it's ridiculous and they get to make money off of it mm. and you know everything from diet culture to beauty products mm -hmm. and all of these things they sort of feed us through social media and through tv that you know this could be better or your armpits could smell better or yeah. so thinking about 
Because you, I mean, you are absolutely killing it. Your award oh, and everything you. you're doing. I feel like you are really changing the world. But if you couldn't be what you're doing, what you're doing now, mm-hmm. what would your ultimate life look like? If time and money and location was no issue, mm-hmm. where would you be? What would you be doing? I would be in Oxford, in Ooh. Oxfordshire, on a really nice estate with a few cows and chickens and stuff. And I would have a family. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd be, I would be a photographer. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would I would love to be a photographer. I love photography so much. I love taking pictures of people in places and editing them and all of that stuff. So I think I would be a photographer, but also writing as well. Yeah. So photography, I think, that would have been my like thing. Heaven. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. Um, I oh. think you're wonderful. So thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so if you're feeling inspired to make the most of your backup plan, great. This is just the start. We'd love to know your thoughts about the backup plan. So please leave us a review and a rating. And for all your weekly updates, hit the subscribe button. Before I go, I want to say a final shout out to the amazing team over at Etsy. Head to Etsy.com to buy directly from someone who put their heart and soul into making something special. Until next time. 